Being confident of this, the Apostle Paul writes, that he who began a good work in you will see it through to completion. These are, of course, famous words from the Apostle, quite possibly among the most famous. And they're written by the Apostle to the church in Philippi, which for Paul was not just a church, but was in many ways the church. For of the existing letters we have from the Apostle Paul, his letter to the Philippians is the only of his letters that does not derive from a place of urgency and anxiety. I say this because while all of Paul's other letters clearly demonstrate a deep affection for the church to whom he is writing, they each nonetheless deal with matters of division and dispute and despair. And thus we see Paul in these letters anxiously trying to counsel them and comfort them and correct them. That is all of them except for the Philippians. And thus, from the very opening words of Paul's letter to the Philippians, we realize that this is going to be an altogether different kind of letter. That Paul's feeling toward this particular church is altogether on a different emotional plane than his letters to these other churches. I thank my God every time I remember you he opens up by saying, going on to say, and in all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the ministry from the first day until now. From the first day until now. And then he concludes this thought by saying, being all the while confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will see it through to completion. Now these are beautiful words. And as I said, they are also unique words. And here's why I bring all of this up this morning. I bring all of this up so as to reflect this morning on how remarkable a relationship this was and moreover, and more to the point, on how this remarkable relationship ever even begun. Which is to say, I want us to think this morning about how Paul and the Philippian church ever even became a thing. Does that make sense? Okay, good. But before we begin to think about that, I want first to tell you a story, or at least the beginning of a story. And that story starts like this. In 1953, a group of committed Christians gathered together on a young couple's front porch in the small southern town of Anderson, South Carolina. And that night, that group of Christians began to discern together a vision for a new kind of church in their city, a church that would be driven by a sense of mission to its community 
and by a deep concern for the world at large. And somehow that conversation that began on that porch soon morphed from talk to task around the city as a sizable band of other believers themselves soon caught that same vision. And thus, within a matter of months, that crazy group of visionaries had not only drawn up a charter for a new church, but had indeed gone so far as to purchase an empty home on a modest piece of property so as to begin their corporate worship together. And so it was then that with great excitement and with unbridled enthusiasm, that band of believers soon circled the date of May 13, 1954 on their calendars, proudly announcing that date as the day their new church would open its doors to the community. And after long weeks of waiting, that big day finally arrived. And all these years later, if you go and look in the official history book of that church, you will see where it is quoted of that day. It was a time of rejoicing with prayers of gratitude and expressions of thanks for how God had led the congregation. Beautiful story, right? Well, as I said, it's just the beginning of a story. And I'll obviously return to it momentarily so as to finish it. But for now, I want to tell you another story. And the truth is, it's actually a story about that same church, about that same group of committed visionaries in Anderson, South Carolina. Only this part of the story picks up some 67 years later in the late spring of the year 2020. And the big date in question this time is not May 13th, but May 17th. And on this year, May 17th is a big day for the church because by this point, the church, along with the rest of the world, has now been in a period of strict isolation for close to three whole months due to a raging pandemic, something called the coronavirus. However, now, on May 17th, after having paid scrupulous attention to social distancing guidelines and having lived in a state of quarantine for all this time, things are now beginning to peer around them safe enough to begin preparing for a measured reopening. And let us now just pause to reflect on the peculiarity of that statement. At this point in time, churches had been closed. Places of worship closed. Up until this point of time, whoever could have imagined three months of a church being closed? I assure you, never church ministers. But alas, this had been the reality for this church for the past three months. But that's why this story picks up that day on May 17th. For it was on that day, just as it was on that May 13th day 67 years earlier, 
that the church once more announced the big day that it would open its doors. June the 28th. And when the pastor announced that news from the pulpit, it came as great relief to all who heard it. For everyone was by now emotionally and spiritually exhausted by their three-month sequester. And thus the thought of returning home, of returning to the sanctuary that they all loved so much, thus that thought brought them all deep comfort and a much-needed measure of hope. And so it was that the calendar crept closer to the announced June the 28th date. And just like all those decades earlier, the congregation grew more and more eager in their anticipation the closer that date came. Leading up to the moment when gathered together in their sanctuary the morning of June 28th, Their pastor spoke to them the comforting words of the old beloved hymn, saying, Come home, come home. All you who are weary, come home. And come home they had. Another beautiful story, right? Well, we'll stop right there with that story too. Now, I will, of course, come back to both of those stories, but for now I want us to shift gears and I want us to begin considering the question that I asked us to consider at the top. Namely, how did the love between the Apostle Paul and the church in Philippi ever even begin? In other words, to what do we owe our profound gratitude all these years later for this exquisite letter that has nourished the faith of so many billions of people throughout the centuries? How did it ever even happen? Well, to answer that question, we need to look away from the letter to the Philippians and look to the book of Acts, which is the physician Luke's narrative history of the earliest years of the Christian church. And in that magisterial work, If we'll first read through the bracing scenes of Paul's conversion from being a chief persecutor of the early church to becoming its chief promulgator, then we'll soon get to the section that deals with his journeys throughout Asia Minor and the rest of the Mediterranean region. And right there, smack dab in the middle of that section, and for our purposes, right there, smack dab in the middle of Acts chapter 16, There we find Paul finishing a successful ministry in the cities of Derby and Lystra and now fully enthused about his destination, Bithynia. You see, it's all been going swimmingly thus far for Paul. Churches are being formed and his reputation is growing and he's managed to escape all persecutions. And here is a city just ahead which Paul thinks without question is the next place his successful journey will be taking him. However, that was not to be. For as we watch Paul depart from Derby to Bithynia, he runs into trouble. Trouble about which Luke, years later in retrospect, simply writes, quote, They tried to enter Bithynia, 
but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to enter. Now again, just so we are abundantly clear on what's happening here, all has been going well. Enthusiasm is up. The path forward seems to be clear. But then just like that, all is upended because of unforeseen outside trouble. So watch closely then at what happens next. Now in response to their trouble, Paul and his group therefore feel led to reverse their course. And thus, instead of pushing forward into Bithynia, as they had originally announced they would do, they instead turned northward toward the region of Macedonia, where Paul slowly began to discern that God seemed to be calling them into a new kind of ministry in a city called Philippi. And so it is that onward they tarry until finally arriving in this city and ultimately going down by the river where they now come upon a woman named Lydia. And it turns out that this Lydia, a Gentile in a region of Gentiles, is quite receptive to Paul's message about the Jewish Messiah's salvation for all of humankind. In fact, Lydia is so receptive to this message that she not only converts to this new faith, But from there, she will not take no for an answer as she begs Paul and his ministry partners to come back to her home to lodge there and teach. And so they do. And so because they do, a church in the city of Philippi was born right there in Lydia's house. Thirty years later, from prison, not long before he would be executed by the Roman government, the Apostle Paul writes to that same church, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership from the first day until now. That is, from that first night at Lydia's house until now. And then he goes on to say, and I am all the while confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will see it through to completion. Now let us ask, how all these years later could Paul, from prison, about to be executed. How could Paul still write these words with such faithful optimism? How all these years later could Paul be so convinced that no matter what, God would see the work of this faith community on through to completion? How? Here's how. Because Paul had now seen God do this same thing over and over and over again in his own life. That is, seen God take that which Paul had thought in the moment to be a tragedy and turn it into a triumph. 
that has seen God prevent Paul from doing the thing that he thought he was supposed to be doing, only to lead him onward toward even greater things than those. And lest he need any proof to proclaim otherwise, the very fact of his relationship with the Philippians at all was case in point. For Paul would have never met a single one of them. And thus the Philippian church would never have grown into the flourishing community of faith that it now was. Had the spirit of Christ not frustrated Paul's original plans all those years ago. Yes, three decades later, Paul could write these poetic words to the Philippians. Words so melodic they sound almost musical. Because in the final analysis, these words had been the very melody of Paul's life. All the while being confident of this. That he who began a good work in you will see it through to completion. This was Paul's story. This was his song. And so I say all of that this morning so as now to be able to say this. While this is Paul's story, this is our story as well. And while this is Paul's song, this is our song too. So listen closely now as I finish those two stories that I began earlier. First story first. As that group left that church building on May 13, 1954, enthusiasm was high. The vision for the future, clear. And the image of Sunday services year in and year out in that holy place in which they just congregated, well, that image... It's vivid in their minds, a given. But as with the Apostle Paul and his ministry partners so long before, so too with those faithful Christians then. For that same night, a call came in to the Anderson, South Carolina Fire Department just after 10 o'clock, informing the firefighters that the building in which that group had just participated in their first worship together was now aflame. And as the story goes, by the time the fire department could even get there, the cause was already lost. The building nearly burnt to the ground. And thus, that church that only hours earlier had been elated now found themselves devastated. For they'd had a clear plan of what lie before them. But now that plan, just like Paul's plan to enter Bithynia, had been closed off before them. And thus in their devastation, they, like Paul, were left to either bemoan their plight or to discern a new vision. Needless to say, dear family, that church is Boulevard Baptist Church. Needless to say, dear family, that church is us. 
And those people are us. And their story is our story. And so then hear now how our official church history book tells the rest of this story. And I quote, in response to that fire, Boulevard Baptist Church rose from the ashes like a phoenix. For the members of this church simply would not believe that they had been defeated. But they instead chose to believe that they'd been given an opportunity. And so because they believed that, here then is what happened. Our forebears picked up the pieces of our charred first building and began to build a new church. One that would be even bigger than the last. One that would be constructed in a manner in which the church could years later continue to add on to it. And one whose ongoing construction, of course, ultimately led us to right here. To this storied sanctuary underneath this storied steeple that never could have been built, that never would have happened had that fire not destroyed the building that our forebears thought held our future. Leading us now to that second story, the one that is, of course, our present story. Sixteen weeks into the ongoing pandemic, at a time when the world is emotionally on edge and when people need the comfort and support of beloved family more than ever, sixteen weeks into the sequester, our church finally opened our doors for the first time on that announced date, June 28th, 2020. In other words, one week ago today. And as the date approached, the excitement and enthusiasm among our congregation was high, for even though we would only be returning in limited fashion, and even though we'd all be having to refrain from singing and hugging, and even though we'd all be needing to wear those insufferable masks, we were nonetheless coming home. And so, come that announced day, we did come home. And while it was bittersweet, it was better than nothing. And so, on that day, we just knew the Spirit of Christ was calling all of us who are weary to come home. But then, just like that night in 1954, and for that matter, just like Paul on his certain way to Bithynia, just like that, trouble suddenly arose. For suddenly that same day, we learned that the dreaded coronavirus had now touched down on our campus, right smack dab in the middle of our child care program, which itself was scheduled to finally reopen after 16 weeks of closure in just three days. And in receiving this news, we were even further than forced to acknowledge that as unwelcome as the facts were that that same day, the number of new daily cases 
and the number of new daily hospitalizations in the area had just reached a record high. And thus, with all of that, the hard truth that day settled in, which was that for all of our exhaustion with the ongoing crisis, the risk of congregating was even greater now than it had been since first our sequester had even begun. And so then the church council had to therefore make the agonizing decision of resuspending our in-person worship services. And then days later had to make the even more agonizing decision of indefinitely suspending our storied child care program. Just when we thought everything was finally opening back up. Just when our enthusiasm was growing. Just then, trouble stopped us dead in our tracks. Just as it did for Paul and his partners. Just as it did for our forebears. So too has it just this week done for us. While we had one plan in mind, outside circumstances have conspired to frustrate them. And about this we do well to grieve. And about this we do well to mourn. And about this we do well to shake our fists at heaven. And about this we do well to cry out with the psalmist, How long, O Lord? But then after we've done that, after we have channeled the psalmist, we must then also channel the apostle just as we must then also channel our forebears upon whose shoulders we stand today, proclaiming together against our grief that he who began a good work in this community of faith will see it on through to completion. Proclaiming just as our forebears did that we have not been defeated, but that instead we have been given an opportunity. Believing at our core that if they can rise from the ashes like the phoenix, so too can we. For they are not them. They are us. Dear family, this is our story. This is our song. In the storied 67-year history of Boulevard Baptist Church, moments like the one we're living through now have risen time and time again. And every single time, the church has only grown stronger because of the adversity. From that first flame in 1954 to the present, this church has time and again encountered unforeseen trouble and chosen to, instead of feeling defeated, turn that trouble into something even more beautiful and more meaningful for our church and for our community. Just go and read the official church history book to see that it's true. Every single time. 
And that is why I can with all confidence stand in this pulpit today and preach with the deepest conviction that while we all feel frustrated by being suddenly barred from Bithynia right now, that the Holy Spirit nonetheless already has a Lydia waiting for us in Philippi. Do you follow? That is why I can say with all confidence that the God who began a good work on that front porch that long ago night is not done with Boulevard Baptist Church by a long shot. I can say this because history has borne this out to be unassailably true. I can say this because this is our story. I can say this because this is our song. The old hymn has it. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. And then those precious words, those words that reach across the centuries and pull the entire Christian family together as one, those words that connect the Apostle Paul to the preacher proclaiming to you right now, the words that unite the church of Philippi with the church at Boulevard Baptist right here, the words that remind us today, saying this is our story. This is our song. Dear family, it always has been. It always will be. So let us, Boulevard Baptist Church, never doubt this blessed assurance that he who began a good work in us will see it through to completion. Amen.